0: Well, thank you for being a part of Next Gen Sunday here at New City. My name is Chris and I'm one of the pastors here and it's a joy to be able to share this with you. This is one of my favorite Sundays of the year and hopefully you already see why. I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet and give attention to one of our passages today found in Mark chapter nine. This is Mark chapter nine, verses 33 through 37. And this is God's word to you today. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out there on the road? And they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down and he called the 12 disciples over to him and he said, whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. And then he pulled a little child among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. The word of God to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. How many of you whether it's here at New City, and I know we have uh, several hundred Next Gen volunteers here, servant leaders. How many of you, whether it's here at New City or somewhere around our city, uh, serve the next generation, maybe as a volunteer here again, or as a teacher, or a coach, or a counselor, or a mentor, or a mom, or a dad? How many of you, a grandmother, a grandfather, how many of you are in regular contact serving the next generation? Just raise your hand really quickly and just take a look around. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you. Thank you on behalf of Jesus for the way that you're pouring in to the next generation. And, you know, there's something really powerful that I want to highlight in this passage. You know, when Jesus is talking about welcoming a little child um, and welcoming them in his name, he's also letting us know that when we're in connection with the next generation, with kids and with students, somehow we're getting a insight spiritually into what God wants to do in his world. There's something that happens when you connect as a coach, a mentor, an aunt or an uncle, a parent, a teacher, an administrator, a next-gen volunteer, when you're in proximity with kids and students, somehow you're in the proximity of Jesus. And when you're in the proximity of Jesus, Jesus says, you're also welcoming my father and the story, the reason why my father sent me into the world. Now, this passage and the story, and I heard some of you laugh in Mark 9, and I love the Bible because of how real the Bible is. And it highlights all the flaws of the disciples and people that made up the story of God just like us, right? Right? And part of the reason you're going to hear that tomorrow is hopeful, and that's our theme for Next Gen Sunday, part of the reason why tomorrow, our future is hopeful, is not just because of what Jesus did. That would be enough. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, what we just saw displayed, his death, burial, and resurrection to new life that he offers to each of us by grace through faith. That would be enough to be hopeful about tomorrow. But that's not all. It's not only what Jesus did, but it's who he did it through. It's people just like you and me, broken people that God put his hope in to go share that hope with other broken people. And I don't know about you, but when I read a passage like this and I hear a passage like this, I'm filled with hope because the disciples were having the same conversations that many of us have, either out loud. Or inside, who's the greatest? Even among the disciples, think about this. These were the people that were walking with Jesus and seeing his preaching and his teaching, hearing that regularly, watching his miracles, and yet they're arguing about... Who's the greatest among us? I mean, how do I stack up and rank among the other guys here? Not that any of us would ever do that. I wonder if I'll get a better review this year than my coworker. I wonder if my compensation is higher than the person that sits beside me. I mean, how do I stack up against everyone else? And what I want you to see in this passage is, that is the story of the world. The story that the world tells all of us is, you've got to compete with other people to try to get ahead and take, and consume what is yours. And Jesus knows it. So he says, what were you talking about on the road as we were coming here? I mean, it seemed like you guys were having this intentional conversation that you left me out of. And I just wonder, what were you talking about? Were you talking about the game? What, what, what were you talking about that was so captivating for you? And they all go silent because they know, Right that they're telling one another and they're arguing about a story that is not a kingdom story, but Jesus knows. And look at verse 35 again here in Mark 9. He says, guys, I just wanna remind you. And it's a reminder to each of us as we celebrate Next Gen Sunday and we think about the next generation in our future. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not about being what? First. Everything in this world says, if you're not first, to quote the great theologian, Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last, if you ain't first, you're last, right? And, and Jesus knows that, that even his disciples are struggling with that. And he says, guys, guys, my story's different. The story of God, and the reason why we can be hopeful about tomorrow is because God gives us a different story. And it's not a story of if you're you're not first, you're last, or I've got to compete with everyone else. I've got to compare with everyone else, which by the way, all comparison is evil. And when I compare myself with someone else and I strap myself against someone else and where do I rank with them, I'm comparing my insides with their outsides. So you're taking everything you see on the outside of them, their Instagram highlight reel, all the highlights of their life, and you're comparing it with all your anxieties and fears and frustrations inside, and you'll lose every single time. And Jesus knows that. And he says, guys, I'm telling a different story. And the story is, if you wanna be first, you gotta be last. So Christianity is a race to the back of the line. It's saying, I'm not here to get everything that I can consume out of other people so I can feel better about myself and be better in my own mind than other people comparatively to be the the greatest. And to make the example, I love this, uh, to make it so real, Jesus pulls a child into their midst. And obviously this child was familiar with Jesus or sensed the love of Christ because he freely or she freely comes and allows Jesus to hold them in his arms. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And Jesus says, guys, as you welcome the next generation, you welcome a child like this, you've welcomed who? You've welcomed me. And when you welcome Jesus in your life, everybody watch this. When you welcome Jesus into every part of your life, you welcome the father and the story of the father, a a, a new kingdom, a new reality that Jesus brought to earth, a new way of living. And this was so radical because children in that day and in many ways in our day were seen as second-class citizens. You know, they, they weren't quite there yet. And even in the church, we can do that. And Jesus multiple times throughout the gospels pulls a child into their midst. Another time he says, unless you, do you remember this? Unless you become like a child, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. What does he mean? Unless you trust like a child trust, unless you think in that way and trust me in that way, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. And in this instance, he says, unless you welcome, unless you serve, unless you work with the next generation, unless you're hopeful for the next generation, you can't experience my kingdom story and agenda. And so this is so powerful when we think about the next generation and, and, and why is that? Everyone watch this. The next generation, children and students, those who are in the room right now, you know, hundreds who are in our next-gen facilities, The, the next generation, those that you work with across the city, kids in your family, they will see a day and a time that we will not They will will serve organizations and lead organizations. They will will serve and lead families. They'll they'll serve and lead in, in local churches just like this one. They will lead and love and live in a time and in a day that we will not. That's just reality. And so everyone watch this. The greatest gift that we can give to our tomorrow, our individual tomorrows, our, our, our families' tomorrows, our churches' tomorrow, our nation, our world's tomorrow. The greatest gift we can give the future, our tomorrow, is the gift of the next generation, kids and students, who have found Jesus and are passionately following after Jesus and have made it their aim to go and do the same and share that hope with other people in the next generation. Because I want you to see something. Just look around the room right now. You're here right now because someone along the way, in your story individually, but in the story of the world, someone invested in the next generation. Someone handed off the faith baton to someone else. Christianity stands alone from every other world religion in so many ways, but as we think about the future, it stands alone and how we share our faith because you're not born into Christianity, meaning it's not your last name that makes you a Christian. It's not where you went to school. It's not your pedigree. It's not your socioeconomic status. It's not any of that. It's your personal faith in Jesus. So the scriptures promise that that faith won't end, but practically, listen to me on this. Christianity in that sense is always one generation away from extinction because one generation has to share their faith and tell the story of God faithfully to the next generation and hand off the faith baton. But here's the tension. For many of us, right, we think about the next generation and we think about tomorrow and we're not filled with hope. We're filled with anxiety, we're filled with fear. Some of us may even have animosity towards the next generation. Uh, the next, they're, they're just lazy. They're just always on their phones. They're just this, and you fill in the blank. And so we're not filled with hope. And it, what's the old mantra? It's even in the scriptures. It's not, it's not new to us. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. What a hopeful mantra. I mean, that just gets me up and going in the morning. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow, our future, we die. But let me tell you something. That is the perfect axiom for the story of the world, for the story of being number one, for the story of being a consumer. Think about it. Get what's yours, consume. Be merry and drink all that you can. Take everything you can out of this world today because tomorrow the only thing we're promised is death the only thing that we can be sure of is taxes and death that's what tomorrow holds and we can't be hopeful about the next generation because they don't know what they're doing they're on their phones all the time they don't get it they're lazy this that and the third over and over and over again and it fills us with with this great anxiety and guys as Christians for those of you who are Christ followers in the room our story is different And that's what Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples who were still struggling with the story of the world and trying to be first and being a consumer that filled them with fear and competition and consumption. And Jesus says, it's not meant to be that way among you. And that's not the type of faith that you're meant to share with the next generation. Tomorrow is hopeful, Jesus said, because of a child just like this. And in fact, you've got to become more like a child and your trust and your hope And your excitement, and your wonderment of the world. You know, when you were a kid, wonderment filled your heart and your mind, all the different experiences. But one of the things that the story of the world crushes in so many of us is we're not people of wonder anymore. We don't notice things anymore in creation, the beauty of people, of stories. We don't pay attention. You know, I heard in one of my devotionals this week, and by the way, I would recommend Lectio 365 if you, if you haven't started listening. That's a wonderful prayer guide every day. But in, in that this week, it talked about noticing and how noticing leads to worship, right, or wonder. Noticing leads to wonder and wonder leads to worship, when I notice someone's story, when I notice a sunrise, when I, when I look at the miracle of what God is doing, I stop to notice and I, I'm filled with wonderment. It leads me to a place of worshiping God, but we've lost that. And part of what we've lost is the ability to look at the next generation and to look at our future and be filled with hope because not only what Jesus has done, but who he chose to do it through. Everyone watch this. God gave us a different story A story of hope, a story of gospel, a story of redemption, of good news to not only experience ourselves, but to share with other people. And again, we should be hopeful not just because of what Jesus has done, but when we look at the story of God, who he chose to do it through. So I want to just finish here and share a quick little story about who he chose to do it through, and maybe it'll fill you with hope, not only for your own story, but as you share that hope with the next generation. And if you're in the gospel of Mark, where we started, I want you to flip back to Mark chapter 2. And let me just read the text to you. This is the calling of a disciple named Matthew, or as he's known in the scriptures as Levi. And beginning in verse 13, Mark 2, Mark writes this, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. And he said to Levi, to Matthew, follow me and be my disciple. In other words, leave your story and be a part of my story. And Jesus said to him, or uh, Jesus said, and then Levi got up. I love this little simple phrase. He got up and he followed him. That's the response that Jesus is looking for. Later, it gets even better here, verse 15, Mark 2. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guest, along with, listen to this, many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And Mark adds the footnote here there were many people like this among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers and the religious, um, of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call those who know, who, or um, I've come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Let me read that again. Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Now, this, this is a mouthful, right? But this is a beautiful passage, And it should fill us with hope. Again, not just because of what Jesus did, but who he chose to work and share what he did through. There's hope for tomorrow because of who Jesus pulled this whole thing off with. And again, as you take a look around, We are the product, we're the outcome of Jesus pouring his hope and his life into other people and those people being faithful to share that hope with other people from generation to generation to generation all the way until now. And as flawed and disappointing as human beings are, just like us, Jesus put his hope in a crew of them, just like us, to carry his gospel hope into all of the world. And again, as you take a look around, it worked. And it's working. We learned two weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 5 that God is making his appeal through us. That we are, remember this? We are his ambassadors. That we are now ministers of reconciliation, sharing the same hope that was given to us to other people. Remember I shared Martin Luther's word on this? That Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread? It's sharing hope with other people just like us. But you can't share something that you don't have. And you can't know that you need hope, right? Unless you're hopeless unless you know that the story of the world and the systems of the world and the structure of the world and the condition of the world is not filling you with hope, it's not enough. In other words, coming to the end of yourself. And as you think about this passage in Mark two, who has come to the end of himself that responds very quickly to the call of Jesus? Levi, Matthew, come and follow me. He got up and he followed Jesus. And who is missing the message of hope and redemption and grace and love and the story of the kingdom of the first becoming last? The religious leaders. And Jesus says it very acutely in verse 17. Sick people, right? I haven't come for for well people. I came for sick people. People who think they're righteous don't need a doctor. It's people who know, watch this, that they're sinners. They know that without Jesus they don't have hope and they have nothing else to share. If we knew Jesus's mission, and we do, Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. If we know that the mission of Jesus is to save the world, to redeem the world from ourselves, from our sin and our brokenness, that there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to be like God, to be pure like him. So Jesus came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's the gospel. Remember 2 Corinthians five twenty one. he, Jesus, who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel in one sentence. Jesus did for us what we could not and what we would not do for ourselves. And now we don't take that message in vain. We take it to other people. But here's the deal if we knew that, and we do, that the mission of Jesus was to save the world, and then we looked at the group of people, including us, that Jesus chose to save the world through, we should never have gotten here. I mean, the people that Jesus chose to use, people just like us, would not be the people that we would think would be qualified and be the best way to put our best foot forward to share this message of hope with the world. And yet these are the exact people that Jesus chose to work through. Consider one of Jesus's first draft picks, if you will, on his team. Matthew. And what do we learn about Matthew in this passage in Mark 2? That he, he has a special category of sin. He's a tax collector. And a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector like Levi was, a very Jewish name, A tax collector was someone that worked for the Roman Empire, collecting taxes from their family and friends because they knew all the income that they had. They couldn't keep that secret. So these were people that had committed treason against their own people, betrayed their own people in order to work for the Roman Empire to to amass more wealth and power for them. So they were the lowest of the low. This is your neighbor who calls the IRS on you and says, I don't think that they filled out their forms correctly. They've got another income stream that they're not telling you about. That's Matthew. And he did that over and over and over with people. And Jesus looks at him and says, you, no, no, you, you, you right there, back there, you, the person that everyone despises, the person that is totally sold out for the story of the world, just taking the money, eat, drink and be merry, I want you to leave that story, and I want you to come and follow me. And there was something in the heart of Matthew when Jesus looked at him and offered him a different story, a different way of life, where he immediately left the story of this world and began to follow the story of Jesus and his hope and his grace that he offered. And it gets even better. Because not only did Matthew accept the call of Jesus to follow him, which is the call in each of our lives to follow Jesus, but he, look at this, he invites Jesus to come into his home and to dine with all of his buddies. And for many of us, when we come to Jesus, we think, right, I, I can't talk to these people anymore. I can't do any of the things, you know, and hang out and whatever. And there is wisdom in all those things and boundaries. But many of us think, I just have to come live at the church, you know, when I, when I uh, find Jesus, And Matthew says, no, I I found Jesus and I want to invite Jesus and his disciples to come into my home. And I want you to meet my friends. I want you to tell them a different story. I want you to do for them what you did for me. I I, want to share the same hope with my buddies who are are drowning and despised. and, And look at the word that's used. They're disreputable sinners, and the, and the Pharisees describe them as scum. And Matthew says, these are the exact people that I want to hear a different story and a message of hope that I want to I want to share this story with. And so he throws this party and and he invites all the disciples and Jesus and And Jesus takes a lot of heat for it, right, from the religious group of people who don't understand why he would spend time with sinners and people who didn't have hope and and people that needed a different story. And Jesus reminds them, that's the exact reason why I came, to tell a different story. But it gets even better. I'll close here. Again, tomorrow is hopeful not just because of what Jesus did. That would be enough. But because of who he chose to do it through. And who he continues to do it through. People just like us. Let let, let me introduce you to someone who has no lines in the scripture. Who has no action stories. But is listed as one of the original 12 followers, disciples of Jesus. And his story is significant to, to notice. And to be filled with wonder. And to worship God because of his call and his grace. And the hope that he offers. It's a man named Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot has no words written in the Gospels. And we don't see any individual stories or actions from him. And yet he's mentioned over and over again as one of the original disciples. Now, he's, we have Matthew the tax collector. That's its own category who sold himself out to the Roman Empire. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have this man named Simon the Zealot. Now, what is a zealot? Uh, the best language that we have for it today is a nationalist, someone who has given their total loyalty and allegiance to their nation in the interest of said nation and in this instance it 's Israel and wanting the Jews to be rightly established again in the land and the promises and as of the covenant people that God had called them to, and taking that on their own, even if it meant by means of violence and so zealots were a political group that was bent on bringing the Jews back into power and kicking the Romans and any other group out and by doing it by any means necessary, including death. Many zealots historically were assassins. Zealots would carry knives in their sleeves And they were meant to kill or assassinate anyone that was against the interest of the Jews. In fact, there's a a zealot code, if you will, a a rule of life for zealots of which Simon was a part of. And it's a simple two-prong code of life for zealots. The first was, if you're in a room with an agent of the Roman Empire, someone who's a, a Roman official, that person doesn't leave the room alive. And the second code of conduct for a zealot that they all agreed to together was if there's a conspirator or someone who is collaborating with the Roman Empire, that person does not leave the room that I'm in alive. And Jesus says, come follow me. I want you to join my team. I'm going to spend, those of you who are doing fantasy football, one of my 10 or 12 draft picks on you, Simon the Zealot. I'm going to put my hope into you, and I want you to go share that hope with the world. Now, can you imagine the orientation of the first—I don't know if they had an orientation together or an icebreaker or a get-to-know-you together, right— but let's just imagine them at some point getting to know each other's stories. They, they shared meals together. They had fires every night together. They talked about all the things they experienced and they got to know one another as they're walking along the road and they're, they're sharing life together for those three years. And can you imagine the moment where, you, <laughs> where the, the, they're introducing each other <clears throat> and several of them are Galilean fishermen and that's, that's fine. You know, that's a, that's a reputable you know, way of life and fishermen. But Matthew says, I used to be a tax collector. I used to work for the Roman empire and I sold all my neighbors and friends out because I was just eating, drinking and being merry and taking as much money as I could and position and power. And that was my way of life. And I didn't know there was another story until Jesus came walking by and called me to follow him. So I was a tax collector and this is really awkward. And then it gets to Simon, and he goes, well, I was a zealot, and I killed people like you. And, and, and don't miss this, because it's right here, but we could miss it. In that moment, right, Simon the zealot had to choose the hope that was inside of him because of the story of Jesus and what he had done, or the story of fear in the world. Who, who am I going to give my allegiance to? Is it the hope that Christ has given to me in following after him in his kingdom way? Or will I slip back into the fear and the allegiances that I have to the things of this world and the stories of this world? And this is a palpable, powerful moment where Simon the Zealot has to choose hope over fear. And the truth is that each and every one of us will be tested in our hope for Jesus. The hope that we have in Christ alone and what he's done and the work that he's doing now through people just like us will be tested by the story of this world. With the offering of money, of power, of prestige, of just like the disciples of who's the greatest even among us in church, who's the greatest among us, we'll constantly be tempted by the enemy to believe a different story And this is such a powerful moment for Simon and for Matthew where it was something bigger that called them together. That They were able to leave their allegiance to the Roman Empire and leave their allegiance to the zealots and pledge their full allegiance in their heart to the hope of Jesus. And don't miss this, hope won. And it's still winning. The hope of Jesus is still winning where we say yes to Jesus and his gospel and his story and no to the stories of this world of power and prestige and and consumption. God loves hitting home runs with broken bats, with people just like us. And here's the deal, right? I'm gonna close right here. All of us have a Matthew in our lives. Somebody that we disagree with politically. They pull for a different team than us. They grew up in a different way of life. They're different culturally. They have different persuasions. But there's something bigger than that that pulls all of us together as the body of Christ. What does the Bible say? Every tribe, nation, and tongue will bow their knee and give praise and worship to God. And the beauty is that God takes our diversity of thought, our diversity of economics, our our diversity in all kinds of different ways and makes it beautiful and not divisive because of what we believe together, the common hope that we have in Christ. And I wanna challenge you that every single one of us, as we think about tomorrow and we think about the next generation, that one of the major barriers of being hopeful about tomorrow is believing the story of the world. And one of the major barriers of being hopeful about tomorrow with the next generation is believing a false narrative about the next generation and criticizing and critiquing instead of blessing and being a sage to them and guiding them in the way. At some point, Simon the Zealot had to put down his allegiances to the the Zealots and love Matthew. It was like Jesus was pulling Matthew or Simon close to him and saying, hey, I know, watch this, I know you love me, Simon. Simon. But in order to love me and follow me, you gotta love Matthew. And you gotta love that person in your life, including the next generation. You gotta love them. And when you love them, what you demonstrate to the world is that there is hope for tomorrow, that there's something so much greater than what we can see and what we can imagine today. And hope happens tomorrow when a generation a generation that many people have given up on. And by the way, in your generation, many people gave up on you. When that generation meets Jesus and is filled with hope and then shares Jesus with another generation that many people have given up on, we're sitting here today because that first crew of of outcasts, of misfits, of sinners, of scum, don't miss that word, they met Jesus and they traded their fear and their hatred and their envy and their jealousy and their competition and their incessant comparison, they traded all of that for the hope of Christ. And then they began to carry that hope to other people around them, to invite Jesus to their parties, to the people that needed to hear that message. And because of this, because of what Jesus has done, and because of who he chose to do it through, people just like us, Here's the bottom line. Tomorrow is hopeful. The best day for those of us who follow Jesus and those of us who will follow Jesus, our best day is yet to come. Christianity, the story of following Jesus, is a story of hope. And hope won then, and hope is winning today and it will tomorrow, to Christ be the glory. I want to give you a practical way to live out this hope that God's given to you. And we talked about this earlier of being in close proximity with the next generation, whether it's in the city or even here at the church. And I want to give you some practical ways to invest in the next generation here, to say yes to tomorrow being hopeful, and leading the next generation towards a hopeful story in Jesus. So I want to share this video with you, and then I'll have another word to say, and we'll finish together.
1: Next Gen Sunday is a time for us to celebrate our next gen finding and following Jesus. When you think about celebrating, you probably don't think about numbers. But when our team looked back over this past year, we found some that are definitely worth celebrating.
0: This year, 36 kids and students were baptized, making their public profession of their faith in Jesus.
1: Over 90 student leaders are volunteering in the next gen. We love this incredible display of the Great Commission by our students as we train and prepare them to live a life of purpose for God and others. 140 kids went to camp this summer, experiencing magnetic moments and deepening their relationship and their faith in Jesus. 50 babies and children were dedicated this year. Parents made the decision to be the primary disciple makers in their child's life and dedicated their children to the Lord. Our next-gen environments have grown 41% in the past year. Proof that our next generation is seeking God's love and truth. Over 200 volunteer leaders serve our next generation every Sunday morning, creating environments to help students find and follow Jesus. On top of all of that new city, you have poured in over 500 hours to our next generation this year. Kids and students are flooding our doors each weekend that we'll see a day and a time that we will not. Imagine the power of just one yes. One yes to sitting in a small group with a child and helping them know that they belong and are loved in God's family. One yes to a student serving with them on a trip and helping them find a life full of purpose, serving their king. Imagine the power of one yes. New City, tomorrow is hopeful because of our next generation. And we want you to say yes.
0: Okay, so practical way to do that. You have a card in your seat back in front of you or right around you. And you can scan it here or you can fill it out at the actual physical card and turn it in at the doors today or in the green teal boxes uh, when you leave today. And it's just gonna let us know that you're interested in saying yes to the next generation and serving. This does not obligate you. It's not a contract. There's no hidden language here. Um, We just want to know that you're interested in serving and be able to follow up with you. So I wanna encourage you to take the card. You can fill it out right now. And drop it off when you leave today, or you can scan the code and fill it out online. There's some other things when you leave today at the doors um, that we'd love for you to take some, some cues for you to, uh, and prompts to pray for the next generation. We've got a sticker, we've got a, um, um, a wristband, uh, some other neat things uh, just to remind you to pray for the next generation and that tomorrow is hopeful. So I wanna encourage you to grab those. Let me pray for us today and we'll, we'll finish with worship. God, thank you for this special morning to celebrate our kids and our students and the wonderful next generation ministry that's happening here at New City. And God, we do pray that every single one of our kids and our students would encounter you, that just like Matthew, that you would pass them by and call them to follow you, that, they, that you would look at them and notice them and, and personally call them to come and follow you. And I pray that each of them would say yes to that invitation from you, Jesus. And I pray that they would also say yes to the invitation to go and make disciples of all the nations, to go and share that love and that hope with other people. So God, would you give us the wisdom today to know what you're asking us to do, to say yes to, to this wonderful calling. And would you give us the courage and the faith to live it out? In Jesus' name, amen.